Hello and welcome to Dinosaur Man News and Reviews. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Pod save our gracious pod. Pod live our noble pod. Pod save this pod. Pod, 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 pod. Send pod with earbuds now. I don't know if we need the second verse. Send pods with earbuds now. Download on iTunes. It's called Apple Music now. <laughs> wow. Strangely, biggest dip in... Send <laughs> pod... <laughs> Biggest dipshit, did you say? Well, I was going to say biggest dip in listenership from oh, loading up the podcast I, to turning it off. I heard biggest dip and ship and presumed you just called me a dipshit. <laughs> also true. Uh, what? I didn't realize we had a, a Podmazam from there. Yeah, we're Podmas- a Christian podcast as well. Yeah. But they knew about that bit, didn't they? Is it like um, in America where everyone, as soon as you start singing the the pod national anthem. Mm. Everyone has to stand up and look at their flag that has the podcast Donald logo. On it. Mm. What? Mm? I'm sorry, in this house we call him President Kettle Black. <laughs> uh, some deep law there. Some deep dinosaur <laughs> one, man law. That's one for a long time, listeners. Yeah. Uh, do you wonder if people sometimes just, you know... Like, we say President Kettle Black being like, huh, what a callback. And they're like... Yeah. Who are they talking about? There's the Kettle Black fans out there, you know. <laughs> They've been dying for us to reference Pe- President Kettle Black for years. Um, but do you think they have to look at that flag that has a picture of our logo on it? Yes. Um, for the whole time. I think they do. Yeah. Hands on their chests. Mm-hmm. Someone but, else's hand on their chest. Yes. Mm-hmm. We encourage. But not attached to the other person. It has to be a dismembered hand. Yeah, that's how you get a hand. Yes. You know when they say... Oh, give yourself a hand. What they mean is <laughs> hack off someone else's hand and give it to yourself for Christmas. Welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm tired already. We said this is going to be a fun one. It's a later in the day recording. Yeah, but it's not like when people hear later in late the day, night. what they think is like, oh, wow, they recorded this at like midnight. Uh, it's like three o'clock. <laughs> That's late for you. Uh, it's late for me to record a pod. I'm usually. This is your come down. What we've ended up doing recently, I wonder if the listeners have actually noticed this because I'm actually an audio whiz, um, <laughs> which is a uh, medical affliction as well. <laughs> um, no, I'm an audio whiz. So what I've been doing is mm. I've recorded my bits of the podcast at six a.m. and then your I've been, peak time, and then I've been recording yours at eleven p.m. and I've been my smushing them together. Until we get something that's coherently a podcast. Like, if you go back and listen to the Christmas episode... It's actually a wonder that we even watch the same movies, because we never even (laughs) discussed that. Oh, yes, the Christmas episode. That should have been removed by now, and it hasn't been. Whoopsies. Um, But yes, so, you know, you already told me that you needed a nap. No, No, I didn't say... No, absolutely absolutely not. Stop spreading this vicious rumour. Rumour has it. Yesterday, I'm pretty sure... After you woke up, within an hour, you were telling me how tired you were. Yeah, I was. I was so tired yesterday. <laughs> I was maybe more tired than I've but ever been. you stayed been. up so late last night. Midnight. Because we were watching a film. I was watching a film. And What's incredible the... is we started that film when I woke up. <laughs> I was watching a film and you were in the room for it. I watched it. I know what happened. And that's the film we're going to be reviewing today. What else are we going to be reviewing? Uh, What's the name of the film? That I- oh, yeah. So we should probably name that film. That film is Eternals. Marvel's Eternals. No, just Eternals. Not Marvel's. 
<laughs> it is theirs, but it's not called that. Strange that they went for that full title. Yeah. I think they could shorten that down. I think Eternals. they could just call it Eternals. So we're going to be reviewing newly titled Eternals, uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Again, that film kind of feels like it's got too many words. They could have called that Eternals. That would have made more sense. Um, because after all, uh, he is a deviant or something. I can't remember. Well, Anthony Bourdain was a deviant. Uh, yeah, it's actually explained in the lore of, um, of it. It's in, the, uh, it's in the opening scroll. Yeah, do you not remember in Parts Unknown, um, every week he has a guest celestial on? <laughs> Oh, God, I hate that I can make that fucking nerdy joke. Welcome to the podcast, though, guys. The only podcast that talks news and reviews this mm. week. Movie news and reviews. We will get to reviews, but before we do that, we have to talk news. But before we get to that news, we have to take a little jaunt. I made and a promise. And this alleyway that is gaming news. Okay, well, here's the thing. Yeah. Gaming news, I said last week, was going to be banned from now on. But actually, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Because here's the thing. That everyone in the world needs to know. Video games don't take a day off from being the worst fucking things in the world. <laughs> okay. So I've got to report them every week just to make sure that these fuckers mm. are held accountable for their actions. Yep. And by these fuckers, we've got the CEO of Activision, um, the other guys. They're all baddies. All the baddies are here. Like We're waiting for the police to come along and Shh. arrest them all. Now, don't you say a word. We are talking. So, here is the thing. Uh, the first news story is a bad news story uh, because a beloved voice actor is now promoting NFTs. Is this... Uh, it's um, Troy, Troy Baker? Baker? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Troy Baker has responded to the huge backlash which erupted online today after he began promoting an NFT service. Mm -hmm. On a series of new messages posted to his Twitter this afternoon, he admitted his earlier you-can-hate-or-you-can-create message about his new business venture might have been a bit antagonistic. It's also a terrible fucking idea in the first place. Well, his thing was, in his second lot of tweets, it was kind of like, I'm just here to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. I always want to be part of the conversation, even if sometimes that finds me in the midst of a loud one, Baker wrote. Appreciate y'all sharing your thoughts and giving me a lot to think about. I'm not going to stop it, though, because fuck you all. Well, the interesting thing is, since then, it's found that the company that he was promoting stole vocal work from artists mm. and sold it. Um, and he says, and, this is fine. And they said, the company came back being like, oh, we didn't mean to do that. It won't happen again. It's like, but you're already doing it. Oh, well, this is better. Yeah. Okay. Um, a guy, um, Mike Ayuma. Do we know this guy? I don't recognize the name. His mom. Oh, Jesus. Hang on. I've got to agree to some cookies. His mom. Thank you for those cookies. Oh, no, now it wants to... Oh, it's backdooring me with some price gouging. Oh, 99p every four weeks. Okay, so basically, he's done a gaming marathon mm -hmm. for charity that's raised 35 million, so that's good. Amazing. It'll probably all be found out to be going to some fucking hedge fund that buys <laughs> NFTs. Oh, my God. What, what or we'll find it? out that he was on Epstein's plane. <laughs> What was he playing? I don't fucking know. I can't read it because it wants to paywall me. <laughs> well done, Mike Humor, though. Like, 35 million is not not a small amount. Yeah, I mean, it says here that 34 million of that was donated by NFTs, probably. <laughs> um, and did you know that um, 
Video game CEOs made tens of millions of dollars in 2020. Don't you fucking speak, CEOs. This is not your time. Bobby Kotick's salary has been in the news on multiple occasions over the last year. And whilst he certainly makes a lot, it's not necessarily the most. Oh, Jesus Got anything to say for yourself, Bobby? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. I don't think he is. No, I think he just lied to our entire audience. Uh, So, Robert Antikol, the CEO of Israel-based Playteaker which makes free-to-play mobile games, of course, made $372 million. Got anything to say for yourself? Yeah. I mean, look, they're all pricks. <laughs> and this is the thing, is that I don't like doing this segment, because what I want to do is I want to do like the nice story about the guy who made $35 yeah. million to give to hedge funds to buy NFTs with. <laughs> But then I can't do that even because he said, and I would do it again in a heartbeat, <laughs> you know? Um, hmm? I wish I could read more of that story, but unfortunately, apparently good news is the only news that is paywalled. We could Google, Google him, but that's, that's no, no, that's too much effort. Okay, well, maybe I'll remember to Google it for next week and we can just continue talking about that. Because it's the only good news story that's going to come out in the video game industry this year. So, every week? There was video games. game awards recently. Yeah, last week. Yes. It was on his podcast. Yeah, but no. In real life, no? Was the that? Game Awards? Is that not last week? Was that not December? I call them the game adverts. <laughs> okay. Because that's all they bloody are these days. Okay. Timely satire by mm-hmm. you right here. Okay, should we move on to actual news stories? Should we move on to movie news? Well, look. I want to do actual news. Okay. COVID is still a thing. And I know last week we established this podcast is a climate change denial podcast. (laughs) Did we? I established that my half of it was. And this is kind of my soapbox segment. If climate change is real, Mm. how come I'm bloody turning the heating on all the time? (laughs) Okay, I'm working on my type five. I'm worried that people are going to start believing that you're... (laughs) I think they could. I think they could easily believe that. No, look, we're not going to do any real news because it's too sad, as we've already discussed. However, what's not sad... It's the fact that bloody Red Notice is getting two sequels. Did we ever review Red Notice or did Paul do it while he was here? Uh, Paul might have done it or you... No, didn't you see it? I did see it, but I don't actually remember... You did the two-line two review Oh, for yeah, it. yeah. You said it's fine, I think. It is. It's absolutely fine. Well, it's better like, than fine. It's got two sequels. So I saw earlier like the critic reviews like pretty much panned it. But like mm-hmm. actually, for what it is, it's fine. Like It's fun enough. Mm-hmm. Do you not think it's just burnout? The problem, well, the problem with it is... I know that's a different video game. Well, the problem with Red Notice was... Well, my problem with it anyway was... It kept trying to outdo itself with its twists. It almost kind of went... Oh, the point of this thing is that you never really know who's doing what and where they are. Yeah. And who is who and who's back in who. And it's like... And turns out that's the least twists, interesting and information. And it twists. And it twists. And actually, by the time you get to like the ninth twist on a twitch, you go... Oh, but actually, I don't care about that anymore. Mm. Like, your action's fun. You've got The Rock and Ryan Reynolds there kind of doing, basically being themselves. Yeah. And Gal Gadot's having fun. So yeah. and, that, and that works. That combination of people works. It's just that, like, it, I think it becomes over-convoluted for itself. Mm. Saying that, I don't mind the fact that they're doing more. Like, it was one of the most watched things on Netflix ever, wasn't it? So Yeah, it's the second most watched movie of all time on Netflix. After Don't Look Up? Um, Is that number one now? After, hang on, I'm clicking on it. I know Don't Look Up had a lot of hours watched. Bird Box. Oh, Bird Box, Bird Box is there. still it. 
Because remember, everyone was going outside wearing blindfolds <laughs> and chucking themselves in front of trains. Bird Box Challenge. I never saw Bird Box. Imagine. So I never fully understood what the Bird Box Challenge was, and I couldn't understand why people were upset that they wanted to be Sandra Bullock. Imagine, like, in years to come, mm-hmm. you have to be like, how did your father die? And you went... Bird Box. He did a Bird Box Challenge. Mm. He hit the dab too hard while he was Bird Boxing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, deepest condolences to anyone who did lose their father in that way. <laughs> Hitting the dab should never be done too hard. Particularly whilst blindfolded and podcast. impersonating Sandra Bullock. We're, We're an anti-bird boxing podcast. And we encourage safe dabbing. If anything, I would say that you need to overprotect when dabbing. <laughs> if you think, I've protected myself too much here from dabbing, chances are, you're still not enough. Wear water wings while you dab. <laughs> So your head bounces back off your elbow. But make sure that you don't wear one on... Actually, no, do wear one on the other side as well. So if your head bounces back too hard, mm-hmm. you're hitting your other shoulder, but you're hitting the water wing there as well. Don't wear those spiked um, bracelets you can oh. get. Oh, please don't wear a spiked dog collar. If you, if you wear that, you might dab straight into a spike. And can I say this as well? Don't rub acid on your arms so that you get acid in your eyes when you dab. D- yeah, no. Can I say that? Strange that the term for taking is acid is taking a dab of acid, isn't it? Oh, is it? it's almost like a tab of acid. Yeah, but don't you dab it? Yes, I'm going to know that question. <laughs> oh, uh, Richie Cunningham over here. You you aware of what goes on? No, sorry, you might have to ask the fonts on this one. Anyway... Um, so the anticipated production start date is 2023 for the forthcoming Red Notice sequels. Um, but obviously that is subject to change because apparently Dwayne Johnson's got a lot on. Yeah, it is a dab. Uh, Black Adam, obviously. San Andreas 2. Red 1. The King. Doc Savage. Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, the second Hobbs and Shaw. Jungle Cruise 2. Uh, and the fourth Jumanji movie. He's always making movies. But, of course, Gal Gadot, her time has opened up because, obviously, Death on the Nile is about to be released in, like, two weeks' time, which clears her schedule right up because, other than that, it's, I guess, the Snow White remake and Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, and Wonder Woman 3. Yeah. Mm. How... Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. How? How is that a thing? What? Wonder Woman 3? How have we gone to the point where Wonder Woman 3 is getting the green light? Well, they got kind of, style. Okay, good. They kind of went. This is a character, and it made some money. But the second one is objection. Oh, obviously, they didn't watch it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, look. Let's move on. That's bad news. In good news, a Beanie Baby story. <laughs> um. So the wild story behind the Beanie Babies is becoming an Apple movie. Zach Galifianakis, Elizabeth Banks, and Succession's Sarah Snook tell the bizarre tale of the 90s craze. Do you remember when Beanie Babies went massive? Yeah, I had loads. They were in the Happy Meals. The, the mini Beanie Babies were. The actual size ones weren't. That would have been insane. I remember. It was mini Beanie Babies in mm-hmm. the Happy Meals. I got a Beanie Baby. Don't fucking kid yourself thinking you're getting a big Beanie Baby. <laughs> I got a Beanie Baby in my Happy Meal. Yeah, so, so a mini Beanie Baby. Mini Beanie Baby. Anyway, the, the words I got a grimace baby. beanie baby. That'd be amazing. Would it? It's yes. just a purple blob <laughs> who steals milkshakes. 
The only thing wilder than the inflated prices people paid for Beanie Babies in the 90s is the true story of the people behind those cutesy toys. That's the subject of The Beanie Bubble, a new film from Apple. I feel uh, Beanie Babies are like that kind of cycle that a load of things go through where there is this boom. Like You got it with Pokemon cards at the moment. Yeah, There is this boom and everyone tries to jump on the tail end of it and a lot of people will lose their money and then, strangely people will stop buying them. Mm. And then in about 10 years' time, you'll get them for cheap again, <laughs> waiting for somebody to create another boom. So Emmy-nominated writer Kristen Gore of Saturday Night Live and Futurama is adapting the book The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, Mass Delusion, and The Dark Side of Cute by Zach Bissonette, co-directing the film mm. with her husband, Damien Kulash. Does that name ring a bell? No. Nope. The lead singer of OK Go. <laughs> Brilliant. Maybe he does all their music videos and it's going to be like a giant Rude Goldberg machine. Uh, he has directed several of those videos. I'm saying the whole film starts with like Zach Galifianakis mm. pushing over a pot of pens. Yeah. By the end of it, I don't know. No we- words are said in the whole no. thing. It's an hour long. They just play "Here It Goes Again" over the top of it, <laughs> and at the end, I think the problem is fired over. A house. That's like good for three and a half minutes, which is why it works in those videos, right? And it's not even that good in those. If I had to watch nineteen minutes of that, of like a domino tipping into a waste paper basket and setting off a firework that then sets off a wolf running at a person who then hits <laughs> into a sign that falls over into a pot of paint or something. I mean, I would hate that. I suppose Final Fantasy... Not Final Fantasy. Um, no, Final yeah. Destination. I, no, I agree that Final Fantasy also does this. Final Destination is one long Rube Goldberg machine. No. Well, no. That's not true. The the it's, plane exploding is him knocking over the pot of pens. Yeah. So it's... I mean, it is astonishing that Damien Kalash has never directed a Final Destination <laughs> movie. Speaking of which... Yeah. John Watts is coming to produce the reboot of Final Destination. Ah. When's that happening? In the future. (laughs) It doesn't matter when. Um, I don't think it'll be... The thing is... John Watts is... Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. He's just been announced. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, I mean, look. The Final Destination movies vary wildly in quality. From... Fantastic. One, two, good. Two, two, amazing. Pretty good. Three. I think oh two's God, better than one. So good. Three's, three's poor. Four goes Four's back awful. To very good. Five goes back to, oh, wow, I couldn't believe we could get any better. Uh-huh. Six goes back to good again. Seven goes to, oh, my God. There's only five. I creamed my pants There's only this. five. Eight makes me go, ooh, mama. Uh-huh. Nine, terrible. Ten, best one ever. Pete Davidson's going to be in a horror movie as well. <laughs> you want to speak about that? I don't know. I, I thought it's that was coming a... from the Purge creator. Um, what's his name? James DeMonaco. Uh, so the film is called The Home. Um, and it's being described as a horror thriller about a young man with demons from his past. Let's hope they're not literal demons. Who takes a job at a retirement home. The residents and staff of the home are not what they seem. What's Uh-oh. scarier They're than demons. old people? Demons. Demons are scarier Demon than old people. people. And the new employee gets in over his head when he explores the building and starts having sex with celebrities. <laughs> Davidson was cast for his ability to seamlessly blend into the character. <laughs> so, 
there we go. I, I, yeah, sure. Like, I probably won't watch it. It'd probably be too scary for me. You can tell me if it's any good. I probably will not watch this. You can tell me. You can be okay. like, okay, this was this is Pete Davidson. Hey, best. Ridley Scott. Yeah, is directing Kitbag as we know, and we've talked about this before. Jodie Comer was signed on to play Josephine, uh, opposite Joaquin Phoenix's Napoleon, in a part that only Jodie Comer could play. Yep. Unfortunately, Vanessa Kirby now has to play that part. Ah, oh, I bet this is the Millennium's fault. I imagine the Millennium Falcon is something to do with this. Um, this historical drama for Apple begins production this spring. Uh, she'll replace Jodie Comer, who exited the project over scheduling issues. I hope Ridley Scott knows that I'm only ever going to watch this on my mobile phone. I hope that you do. Like, I might just start sending screenshots of me watching stuff, like all of his films on my mobile. Mm. The only way to watch a Ridley Scott movie. Uh, so this is obviously reuniting Joaquin Phoenix with his director from Gladiator, Ridley Scott. Now who's tired? I just keep yawning. That was a big I don't know. Yawn. If you, I don't know if you're just boring that. Oh well, okay. In that case, let's <laughs> fucking move on. I had one fun little game I wanted to play. Yeah. So it's the end of the year. Well, what? okay, fine. It's the first news and reviews of the new year. So let's do. Can Andy tell me what the top 10 worldwide oh. box offices were? Oh, God. In the year 2021. Global. Global. Yeah, we'll go a global. Oh, okay. Spider Man No Way Home. Number one with a bullet. 1.5 billion. Shang-Chi. Uh, number nine. Ooh. 417 million. Godzilla vs. Kong. Number eight. 468 million. Um, Black Widow surely not in there. No, twelve. Um, Fast Nine or Fast Fifth nine? with uh seven hundred twenty-one million. Okay, what else came out this year? Dune. Dune is eleventh. No time to die. Fourth with seven hundred and seventy million. Um, oh, what else actually came out? Um, like I'm running out of things that came out last year that I think would make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will tell you now that there are a couple of Chinese releases in here. Is um something like same say hi mom or something like that? Hi mom, yeah. The Wandering Earth was the year before, maybe? The Wandering Earth was a couple of years ago. Uh, what about a battle? Oh, no. Demon Slayer, the movie, is that, that in That was also the year before. Um, uh, so you're missing. So you've got High Mom. Second place was the Battle of Lake Shangjin. Would never have got it. 909 million. I thought there'd be a couple of Chinese The most successful in film in Chinese box office history. Wow. We watch it. Uh, yeah, if you want, uh, you got Hi Mom, uh, Detective Chinatown Three. You also missed. No. And in terms of Western releases, yeah, you are also missing the number seven spot and the number ten spot, both of which are comic book movies. Venom. Venom Let the Carnage at seven. Eternals. Eternals at ten, rounding out the ten. Wow. Three hundred ninety-nine million. So. 
What does that right. tell us? It tells us that Spider-Man and the battle for Lake Shanjin were the best movies mm. of all time. And that everything else can suck it. Well, the Spider-Man news is good news for the cinema landscape, isn't it? But it's... What about Battle of Lake Shanjin, you Westerner? <laughs> well, it just means like people are willing to go to the cinema again. Yeah, true. But I do think... As long as it's Spider-Man. Yeah. The reason I think is like... This is the problem, is now that that means there has to be a Spider-Man every month. But with Spider-Man, I do think there is an element of FOMO with it as well. Sure. Of, oh, I need to go see this now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it did it against the odds because it came as soon as, like, the spikes in Omicron, so... Mm. And, it's the and I actually think it Spider-Man. contributed to those spikes. Spider-Man, the little movie that could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the small indie movie that no one had any faith in. <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh, so that was fun. Anyway, we are actually... actually uh, we've got one more film to review that I forgot about. Oh, okay. We watched it together. It's a oh, silly movie. oh, yeah. We haven't so, ever talked about that. So, what I want to do first is that's the end of news. Yes. What a great news section that was. Can I have a round of applause for the news section? Thanks, guys. Anyway, starting with the review section. <clears throat> You'd reviewed every single episode, bar one, <laughs> of Hawkeye. And I have been on tenterhooks <laughs> since that day. I've seen the last episode of Hawkeye mm-hmm. mostly. But I did get bored and I left the room. <laughs> Can you tell me? I loved Hawkeye. Okay, cool. Like Anyway, moving on. Boba Fett, what do you think of that? <laughs> genuinely, like, just quick on Hawkeye. Like, a lot of people didn't watch it for some reason. I think people basically weren't engaged with that character. But uh-huh. I think it's probably the best of the Marvel series. Did like, a lot of people not watch it? I, I think like so, a lot of people I think less it. people watch than the rest of them anyway. Okay, okay. Um, but I just thought it was like really well put together. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mm-hmm. found um, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld really engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the story interesting. The action was good. Um, and also, like we can say it now, it's been a, what, how long? About a month now? Yeah. We can say Kingpin is back in what it. What the fuck? Um, so Vinny D, Vincent mm-hmm. D'Onofrio came back as Kingpin, kind mm-hmm. of, which meant we knew what was going to happen like from the earlier episodes. Like, it, it was pretty obvious it was going to be Kingpin, and then it was obvious that, that it was going to be him. Yeah. But it's really great seeing him back. Right. Um, because I do think he's really good in that role. Mm-hmm. He's definitely um, beefed up a little bit in the sense of he takes some hits in that final episode that mm-hmm. a normal man cannot take. And it is almost that thing of like Kingpin in the comics and like stuff. He's this really interesting thing of like he is just a big guy, mm-hmm. but also like he can definitely take like more than a normal guy should, and that's what he is in this. And I know some people were upset that he's not maybe the same kind of menace as he was in like the Daredevil series, but actually, mm-hmm. I really liked it, and I like the fact that he was just like um, there's a whole bit with him and Kate Bishop, and he's just like swatting her aside like a fly. Unfortunately, though, it brings back. Um, a campaign that we ran at the very start of this podcast, mm-hmm. which was hashtag tops off Kingpin. We don't get to see topless Kingpin yet. We've been campaigning since the start. Do you think that's ever going to happen at well, this point? I always said it is unfair that we saw Matt Murdock without his top on all mm-hmm. the time because he's got this great bod. Oh, let me guess. Because he's hot. Exactly. And we never get to see... Because he can't act. We never get to see Vinny D without his top off. Okay. And... I'm bringing back yeah. hashtag tops off Kingpin to try and petition Marvel to let us see topless D'Onofrio. Cool. I think it's about time. 
All right. We got close. At one point, you wore a vest. So close. Uh, all right. Well, that's good. Glad you enjoyed it. Really liked it. Okay. Um, I think everyone should watch it. It's great. You think I should watch it? No, you would hate it because you. Because I got everything. bored in the last episode. The last episode should be where all your treats are. I had a lot of fun. Um, Book of Boba Fett. Look, I get what it is. It's about Christmas. <laughs> But I've seen Christmas stuff before. Book of Boba Fett. Tell me about the first three episodes of that. So this is the series that is focused on Boba Fett and kind of what happened from him escaping the Sarlacc pit yeah. to where we see him in the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is the point after that where he's gone back to Tatooine. He's taken the throne that Jabba Hutt, the Hutt used to sit on. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to take over as the some kind of mafia boss of that area. It's okay. There are bits that I like. Like mm-hmm. it does a good um, job of making the sand people more than just you know savages. Yeah, they actually have a culture and things like that, and it was really nice to learn about that. But at times, it's just pretty dull. And I think the intrigue that they're trying to put in, in the kind of sense of "ooh, what's going on here," just I don't care. Mm. Um, and you know, maybe it will. Prove me wrong, and I think it's. I think the problem is because I really like the Mandalorian mm-hmm. as a series. I think it's really well done. This just seems a bit naff, and I don't know whether that's because in the Mandalorian you're planet hopping and you're going to all these different places and seeing all these kind of mm. different corners of Star Wars universe. And in this, we're just on probably one of the most boring planets that it has. Yeah, like there's not much about Tatooine that like excites or interests me mm-hmm. also in the last episode they had space vespers and they looked dumb as fuck um yeah but that's that's within the wheelhouse yeah, of but star look, wars isn't yeah, it yeah but it looks dumb everything is based on things from the 50s and 60s <laughs> and they all looks dumb but these look really stupid they're all them. like george lucas's wet dreams um, it's like american graffiti in space right but yeah so i don't know i think this series is for somebody. A lot of stuff in Star Wars looks dumb. Yeah, but did you see the Space Vespers? Yeah. Like the multicoloured fucking... They don't look any more dumb than anything in episodes 7, 8, and 9. But yeah. Some dumbass shit goes on there. I'm sure... I can't wait for the day that we reappraise the prequels as being maybe the best films. <laughs> well, people do that now, don't they? Like, mm. like the fact that like, Anakin... I think Jar Jar's not problematic, dude. Stuff like... I think he's cool. Hayden Christensen coming back in Obi Wan has got like people like going crazy. They're like, mm. oh, it's all the Looper fa- uh, jumper fans. That's it. I can't wait to see him come back as our Darth Vader. I'm like, but you all hated him. Mm. Like you all genuinely hated him. Like, oh no. Like, yeah, but people liked him. Book of Buffett's a bit. Meh. Okay. I'm sure somebody, maybe, I I know Matt who's been on the podcast before is really enjoying it, mm-hmm. and I'm sure people who are really in Star Wars are really loving this. Yeah. But for me, it's just not hitting any kind of like... I'll watch it. I'll carry on watching it and I'll mm. watch it all. Um, but it's just not working for me at the moment. Okay. So should we talk about uh, four films from 2021 <laughs> for this, the first episode of News and Reviews of 2022? Yes. Okay. So let's start off with the oldest first, which technically I believe is Eternals. So Eternals. Mm-hmm. The latest... No longer the latest, no. but was at the time. <laughs> if we'd have reviewed this when it came out, 
was the latest uh, MCU installment. So, um, directed and co-written by Chloe Zhao, who's just mm-hmm. come off the back of uh, Nomadland. Yeah. And starring a who's who of people that I either knew or didn't know. <laughs> you got some big names in here. You got some smaller names in here. Um, but there's a lot of them. Yes. That's the first thing we should say. There's about a hundred. There's a whole lot of boys and girls in here. But there's like ten, isn't it, Eternals? The Eternals themselves. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe eleven, I think. But yeah, ten or eleven. That's a lot. So, do you want me to try and do How's a... How's Kit Harrington getting that high up on the cast list? Anyway. Do you want me to try and do a plot summary? Oh, I was going to do I'll it. Go but for you, it then. No, no, you can do no, it. No, no, I'd like to hear what you think the plot is. Okay, so, Eternals are um, sort of cosmic beings who were sent to Earth in the early days of the universe. 7,000 years ago. All right, well, I don't pay attention to specifics. Anyway, they were sent there in the early days of the universe, and nominally they were sent to sort of watch over things, mm-hmm. but also not interfere, mm-hmm. but they can just make sure that they can battle deviants, mm-hmm. who are sort of the natural enemy of the Eternals, yep. despite the fact that it doesn't really make sense that they would be the natural enemy of them, because... Well, deviants, it doesn't seem like they're from the same ecosystem when you first meet them. Their job is... Deviants arrive on planets and they try taking out the population. Yes. And the their Eternals. job is to make sure, hey, you leave them alone, but we'll let them kill each other. That's The humans can kill each other. That's all fine. Yeah. But what we can't let happen is a deviant eat one single human being. <laughs> so they don't. They do that for hundreds of years. And then they defeat all the deviants. But then, hundreds of centuries later... In the present day. They seem to come back. What the hell? And we pick up our story there. Yeah. And there's other stuff that happens. That, like, that's basically... No, that's it. That's that's the movie. Basically, yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of people in there. A lot of powers. They've um, all got their own thing. They've all got something going on. That's the thing about superheroes, is everyone's got their own thing. The thing about the Eternals is it takes some swings... Mm. As a movie, it does some things that you go, okay, you're going for it here. Like, it seems so different to other parts of the Marvel Universe. And yet feels so the same. But it feels like it can't be in that universe. But at the same time, yeah, it has that kind of like... I felt like this felt like the most Marvel... Like, I was astonished that people had been saying this doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. Because I was like, this feels more like a Marvel movie than a lot of Marvel movies. The thing about it is, is, and I think the reason it got a lot of shit was because it's very plodding. Yes, it's quite a languid film. But I kind of like that. Uh I kind of like this film. Like, I thought it's... One of those, I think, will grow on me, definitely. But there's Mm -hmm. stuff in there that I like... I kind of really like this. It it throws up some big questions, um, and maybe it doesn't deal with them very well. But yeah. like, it's it's asking questions that like not everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. There are areas of grey, but also like your villains are they really your villains, or do you can you look at them from another point of view and be like, actually, is there? And I think Marvel do this a lot at the mm. moment, where they're doing this thing where they're going, we have villains. But actually, what if your villain also has a kind of point? Mm. It's the whole thing with Thanos. Like, Thanos had a generic point that you could argue from a certain point of view works. This has a similar thing where the big MacGuffin towards the end, like, 
that they have to kind of get rid of, actually, what is the negative aspects of doing what you think is the right thing? Yeah. And it does that with a few different things in this as well, where it asks these big questions where it kind of maybe doesn't answer them, but just throws them out. Mm-hmm. And I think it does do a lot of that. It's very lore-heavy. It's very much like... The biggest problem for this film is you have 10 Eternals that you have to try and introduce in this film with all of their history, with all their um, backstories, you know, ask, answer all those questions of where have they been? Why have they not been involved? Mm. What were they involved with? How does that affect them? Some of that, it does really well. Mm-hmm. Other bits it does seem like that's when it becomes a bit of a slog. And I think it does do that. It has a weird kind of pace to it. And there are times where I'm like, oh, I'm really enjoying this, really going along with it. And there's times where I'm like, oh, actually, I feel we should be just moving on a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's two hours 40, basically, close to. Yeah. So it's a long movie. Um, and because it becomes a bit plodding, you sometimes feel that length. Um, I like some of the characters I really like. Some of them I'm, I don't really like Gemma Chan's Cersei. Mm-hmm. I didn't really warm to her at all. And since she's your lead, it's a bit. Meh. Yeah. Um, but I do like some of the relations. Like I like the relationship between um, is it Druig and Mac- Malachi or something like that. The fast one and the mind control one. I like... and Makari. Yeah, and I like that. Like, There's a lot of stuff that's implied without ever saying. They do that with a few of these characters and their relations. And I think it's really nice. Like, I love the kind of relation that um, Gilgamesh, who's the big powerful one, has with Fina, who is having this kind of problem with her mind that keeps kind of going back as she kind of apparently they live too long so they have too many memories and it can lead to you having this kind of mind issue mm-hmm. and it becomes this kind of carer and carey relationship and that kind of thing of like sometimes you're a carer to somebody who can have really violent outbursts and you still in your heart know this person is good and how do you look after them and that kind of relationship I really like that kind of stuff that's where I think it kind of feels different to me. Mm. Like it has these kind of relations and this kind of law that feels different, but you are right. It does fall into the traps of a generic Marvel movie. And there's even a bit where it's kind of hanging a lantern on it, where, um, Kamehameha Nanjiani's character, I can't remember his name. Kingo. Is filming a documentary. Mm. And he turns around and he's like, oh, you better film this. We have to have an action set piece. At a point where it felt like, oh, you've put this in because you feel you have to have an action set piece here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it does have the same trappings of a Marvel film. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like this. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I know you were only kind of half watched, but like you, you were here watching it. Mm. And I imagine you probably feel much the opposite. <laughs> I mean, look, it's not for me, but we knew that going in. It's a Marvel movie. They're very, very rarely are they for me. I think the things that it does well are, hmm, well, okay, here we go. Here's the interesting (laughs) stuff. No, I think there are a couple. So, for instance, you highlighted the two performances that I actually thought were very good. 
which is Barry Keegan and uh, Lauren Ridloff yeah. as Druig and Makari. Everyone else, I thought, was a completely wooden or two dimen- uh, one-dimensional performance. Mm-hmm. And I think the script did them absolutely no favours because I think it is a terribly written script for the most part. And when you're when you're relying on quiet conversation, you need to make sure that that quiet conversation feels like a conversation. Yeah. This just feels like it's actors reading lines. And that, for me, was a big issue. The other thing is just for saying that, it, oh, everyone was saying it's such a slow-paced movie, it's such a slog to get through... There's quite a lot of action set pieces mm-hmm. in here, and yeah. all of them highlight the worst of the Marvel stuff for me, where it's just smashy-crashy things going into each other and, you know, punching a big alien guy in a forest where he then starts blending in with the scenery. And I'm like, okay, I don't really know what's happening here, except well, the this guy's thing, got laser eyes. The interesting thing there is it highlights the problem mm-hmm. with having so many characters because you've got 10 characters that all can do one thing each Mm -hmm. and you're trying to do a film where you highlight all 10 of them, you can't ever then do anything interesting with their powers. There's only one person who does something that, you know, maybe is unexpected, but we as an audience don't know that's unexpected Mm. because the um, characters in the film have to be like, oh, Cersei did this and that's not normal. And we go, oh, so that's not normal. That's not Mm -hmm. supposed to happen. But you don't get anything interesting because they all just do their one thing. Yeah. Um, and it is a trap you fall into when you get these kind of size casts. And it's why things like, it doesn't really matter as things like, say, Infinity War and Endgame. Because by the time you're seeing these characters in those films, you know what they can do. Mm-hmm. And even then, well, no, a good case in point is Doctor Strange. You saw Doctor Strange in Doctor Strange's movie. Yeah. And then in Infinity War, he's doing this crazy magical stuff that you've never seen him do before. Mm -hmm. But you know that this is an advancement of what he can do because you've had time to kind of know that character. Yeah. In this, you do get um, Richard Madden. Mm -hmm. um, Icarus. As basically Superman. And all he does is just fires eye beams at people. Mm -hmm. And it's never really more engaging than that. Mm. So I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. In the and they even of, make the point of saying he's just Superman. Yeah, it's really weird that they mention that the DC mm. universe ex- definitely exists in the Marvel universe. Mm. Like, that those characters exist. Uh, okay, we should probably just move on. Um, um, I would recommend... I don't know if I've got anything I, else to I say. I like this. Like, I think it's not the best. But if you're a Marvel fan, you might... You, you'll probably like it. Um, but I do think that there's actually enough in there to like. I... I get what your problems are and I can mm. see why you think that way. And I can, if we had a longer discussion, I'd probably like come around to agree with you on like parts of your stuff. Coming the, soon. Spoiler special. But the stuff that I did like, I mm. really liked. Okay. Um, also, there is some absolute fucking batshit stuff in this thing. Like I said, they swing for the fences and like the bit towards the end made me just go, what the fuck? Mm. Um, Okay, that now exists in this universe. Um, we can talk about it afterwards. Okay, I'm but confused. basically, the whole last set piece and what happens there, mm. um, and then like the very end makes you go, okay, so that now happened in this universe. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, well, yeah, but that's clearly setting up the next big bads. Yeah, potentially. I would have thought potentially, yeah. 
anyway, I'm lost patience with um, Marvel, I think. Is, yeah, but you had a long problem. time ago. I kind of liked Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> I, I thought it was okay. Um, yeah, would not recommend for me, but it's not for me, so it doesn't matter. Malignant. Talking about Surprise <laughs> movie. Surprise movie that we forgot to mention at the start. So Malignant. This is the, um, the horror movie from uh, late last year uh, by James Wan. Uh, from a screenplay by Arkayla Cooper, based on a story by James Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the film is a horror movie that follows uh, a woman called... Uh, holy good. Uh, <laughs> what is her name? Madison Lake. Stupid yep. name, isn't it? Anyway, so Madison is uh, living with her partner and mm-hmm. um, suffers domestic abuse at the hands of the partner and loses her baby that she was carrying. Yeah. And then... Is the partner killed? Yes. Yes, of course he is. Yes, sorry. The whole film is yes. based on him dying <laughs> yes. at the beginning. Sorry, we only watched this like two weeks ago, and already I can't remember how insane it was. So yes, so the, his her partner's killed, and she returns to the house after being discharged from the hospital, and strange things start happening, and people who seem to be unrelated to her, but all connected, start disappearing mm-hmm. and being taken she starts seeing these envisions. Yes, and she starts seeing these killings or kidnappings in visions where she almost seems to be present at the same time but mm. unable to stop anything from happening. Um, and then the police get involved and it becomes a big investigation into this and it turns out that there is a link here and you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. <laughs> um, so... What I won't go into is any more spoiler detail. And um, this will be brought up on our films of 2021 awards. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little heads up. So if you are looking to avoid spoilers, watch it before you listen to that episode. Yeah. that's coming up in a couple of weeks time. But <laughs> overall, it is a, for the most part, it is a by the number sort of supernatural horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then there are 15 minutes of it. Where it just feels like... It just goes for it. You know, you were speaking about, oh, Eternals take some big risks. <laughs> Not as big as this. This is very much, hey, Eternals, hold my beer. <laughs> um, this this film gets nutty towards the end. And the thing is, it starts with a sequence that I demand to you afterwards and went, what is this film? Mm-hmm. And then just, like, cause it starts this kind of, like, big, brash off the wall sequence mm-hmm. and then just goes straight into as though this is like an insidious movie like it's just yes. like, just like oh just a normal coast movie and I'm like are we never going to reference the fact of what we've just seen at the start mm. and it's it's really weird that it goes for this kind of like really kind of oh this is creepy and normal and then does what it does at the end mm-hmm. like the last 15 minutes of this film I laughed so hard. Yes. Um, there's a point where a police officer gets hit by a yeeted chair, and it is brilliant. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of it, it has a lot of the tropes that you would expect for one of these type of movies, and particularly a James Wan movie. If you've seen any of his other horror features, mm. it goes into a lot of what he does 
and what he's made a career of doing since the Saw movie, really. Yeah. But, you know, there is a degree of accomplishment to which he does that. I don't think that the film is scary at all. I don't think... But then again, I don't think any of his films are particularly scary. Mm Mm-hmm. And it leans into a lot of stuff from horror films of the era that he's clearly a huge fan of. But that last 15 minutes is, like you were saying, it is preposterous and is so outlandish that you almost can't help but marvel at the fact that it's done it. (laughs) I mean, it's not good, but it is interesting. The interesting thing is, and what I will give him, but we did talk about this while watching it, was I was like, there are some shots in this film that are really well accomplished. That yes. look really nice. And like there's one where it kind of the camera goes up through a house and then goes above and it, you follow them walking through the house. And I was like, I really like that camera shot. Mm-hmm. And you went, yes, but it adds nothing to the film though, doesn't it? And I was like, no, you're right. It just looks nice. Yeah. Like it does nothing. It's not a necessary shot. It doesn't really do anything. And there's multiple And it doesn't fit in with the mise-en-scene of the film. However... James Wan is a James Wan is a director who just throws those shots in just in the hope that you will ignore the fact that he's about to show you something as stupid as he is. Yeah. Um I think and there's a there's a quote here from uh, a review of this from um Lindsay Bear of the Associated Press. Uh, said, if you need to see Malignant, a theatre is honestly the best bet. That way, at least you can laugh along and not a shock with your fellow moviegoers. I think that's correct. Yeah. I think I would have had a rip-roaring good time if I'd have seen this in normal times, not COVID times, guys, um, with other people in the cinema just experience. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of that thing of, like you were saying about, um, what was the movie that you watched in the cinema that you uh, mocked with McCormack? Oh, um, we watched Resident Evil together. No, it wasn't um, that. What else did we watch? We watched Aquaman and laughed Aquaman, the entire time. that's the one. Which is fittingly mm. enough. Yes, so I think that's probably the way to see it. I mean, if you're looking for a well-made and well-constructed horror movie that actually is scary, this is a would-not-recommend. Yeah. However... I think this is one of those cases where a film that's in my bottom probably 20 of the year is also, weirdly, a would recommend if you're in the right circumstances. Yeah, we spoke about this. Like I said it's higher on my list because of the circumstance in which I watched it. And mm. the fact that we watched it together and we enjoyed it as a... If I'd have watched this on my own... It'd be nowhere near. Like, I'd be putting this very close to the bottom. But yeah, it, depending on circumstances... Even with the twist, I think I would. Uh, okay, so that's that. That's available to rent now if you do so wish. Mm. Uh, I'll talk briefly about Roadrunner. Uh, so Roadrunner, which is the Anthony Bourdain documentary that came out, uh, well, it came out in the UK just before Christmas, mm-hmm. um, uh, had been out for about half a year in the States by this point. Um, and so, uh, so it's from Morgan Neville, who's the filmmaker who made um, "Won't You Be My Neighbor," the Mister Rogers documentary from a few years ago, which I think went on to be the highest-grossing biographical documentary of all time. I think, if I remember correctly. Anyway, um, so this sort of follows the the life of Anthony Bourdain from the point of him sort of gaining uh, superstardom in the U.S. 
and then subsequently worldwide becoming well known for his um travel programs mm. and his food programs um and what they've done is they've they've gone away and found you know crew members who worked on his shows on CNN he's uh, some of his contributors from that show, so people who he's actually gone and met during the course of that film, friends of his who also appeared alongside him on that on that show, um, and basically, as well as his uh, his ex wife as well, and basically get an idea of who he was as a man and what what problems came with with stardom that felt like they were potentially ones that added to his unhappiness in his life. Um, So if you don't know, so um, Anthony Bourdain died by suicide in 2018 um, whilst he was shooting um, a series uh, of Parts Unknown. And it basically details everything up to that point and then some of the fallout from that as well. And talks about the various different influences within his life that were either positive or negative for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is an interesting documentary because it gives you a bit more of an insight into him as a man beyond the persona that he put out on screen. And the persona he put out on screen was not necessarily too different to who he was as a person, it seems. It's just it was a slightly more... Um, I guess sanitized version in terms of you didn't get quite as much of the, or certainly when the darkness was explored, it wasn't explored as in depth as this film goes into. Um, I know that there was a, there was some furore around um, the AI generation of, I think two sentences within it Mm. that were from an email that he sent to one of the contributors to this uh, documentary. Um, and about, you know, we shouldn't be um, using AI recreations of people's voices to give voice to the words that they never actually spoke, that they'd yeah. only written. I can kind of understand it, um, only in so much as I understand that it wasn't disclosed before the viewings. Mm-hmm. And I think that seems to be the biggest issue, is they didn't disclose that they'd done this. Uh, in terms of that, I do think it's fairly by the by when it's actually yeah. done in the film because it's informing something, but it's not exactly changing. It doesn't change the meaning behind the words. Mm-hmm. So I've got less of a problem on that front. But, you know, then again, it's... I think it's a personal thing, isn't it, of whether you do or don't find that. Yeah. Do um, you believe it's putting words into somebody's mouth that was never said? Yeah. Like, I can see why some people are upset about it. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's an interesting documentary. I think if you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain, you will find some stuff in here that will mm. be interesting to you. I think if you aren't, then it's still worth a watch because I think he is an interesting person. But then again... You've got hours and hours of footage from other stuff as well that you yeah. can get stuck into as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would recommend. I think it is a really well-put-together documentary that doesn't add huge amounts to him but does give you a bit more of an insight mm-hmm. uh, and actually reveal some stuff where you will feel slightly less forgiving towards him, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, 
Finally, wrapping up this week. Long episode. Yeah. Beast of an episode. Uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth. So this is fresh onto Apple TV this week, uh, having had a few weeks in cinemas now in the UK. Um, So this is an adaptation of Macbeth by Joel Cohen, um, based on the play Macbeth by... William Shakespeare, multiple Oscar nominee. Um, Sadly, never won one. No. The first year he was nominated was actually after his death. (laughs) About 400 years after his death. (laughs) Anyhow, so, um, starring Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, Bertie Carvel, Alex Hassel, Corey Hawkins, Harry Melling, Catherine Hunter, and Brendan Gleeson... What a cast. All of them. And more. And more. You know, there's more. Um, so, yeah, this has just been dropped onto, what did I say? Apple TV. Apple TV. I don't, do you need to say the plot of Macbeth? I don't think so. A man meets some witches who make some proclamations about his future. Do you need to? And as they start coming true. At what point, like. At what point does the proclamation drive his If future? I did an adaptation of the Bible, would I have to do like a plot summary yeah. for that? <laughs> it's the Bible. Um, I'd say it's one of the most famous plays of yeah, all time, but right? Just in but case. yeah, okay, fine. To the uncultured swine who listen to this podcast, um, uh, yeah, he meets the witches. The witches tell him what's going to happen in the future, mm-hmm. and does the question is, is, does what the witches say to him come true? Dry, yeah, come true, or does, does it he drive him to drive accomplish him to things? Accomplish it, yeah, mm. um, and it's all about Macbeth and his relationship with Lady Macbeth, really. Yes. Um. First things first, like it looks really nice. Yes, like, visually, artists. it's a very striking film. It's got sort of hints of German expressionism in mm. it, in terms of the way it's put. To- well, you know take, what I mean. Take though. that, you uncultured swine! When I talk in German expressionism, don't know what. Look, we'll get back to fucking shit talk next week if you want. <laughs> anyway, but you, you know what I yeah. mean. There are some there are some shots in here that I genuinely think are some of the best shots I've seen all year. Mm. Um. Just in terms of, uh, and you know, it's it was all shot on a soundstage, mm. and you can tell that it's it, it feels like a very old fashioned, yeah, it movie feel, in terms of the way it's. It feels like a play at times. Yes, like, yes, it, it feels, feels like, like it's, your, it's a filmed version of the play. Yeah, um, and I think that works in its favor and against it at certain times. Yeah, because I think. Certain performances, not all, but certain performances definitely feel like it's just someone doing their version of this as mm. if they were in their own production of Macbeth. And it doesn't matter what production someone else is in. It's actually a similar problem I had with Eternals, where it felt like everyone was also working in different films. Yeah, yeah. And they're all doing a performance. And I don't think anyone in in Eternals, I didn't think there were too many that were standing out. And in this, I didn't think there were too many that were standing out either. The one who does, I think, is Catherine Hunter, who plays the witches. He is incredible. I think that's one of the best performances I've seen this year. I think it's a really fascinating performance. It's an interesting way of doing it as well. Yes. Of having one actress portraying the three, three characters, characters. yeah. And the way they kind of build that up is really... Yeah, I was going to say, like, is really great performance. Yeah, I I think she's easily the standout. Um everyone else it sort of feels so I don't know I don't know the, the word that I'm trying to conjure here 
Mm-hmm. Because there is a word that best describes the performances, I think. And I don't think that they are stagey in the same... So something like Fences, for example, yeah. and I'm purely making the connection of Denzel Washington here. In Fences, his performance in Fences is very stagey. It's very overblown. It's very big and sort of grandiose and all oh, look at me. Here, it's quiet, where actually Macbeth as a play is not really a quiet play. There's always a lot of... It's Okay, fine, it's not Titus Andronicus, but it's... <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh wow! Uh, really digging into it. But it's still quite a it's still quite a big play. Yeah. Um, and it kind of feels like there are performances that are maybe reserved. Might be the word that mm. I'm trying to search for here. But again, I don't feel like it fully does it because I think between him and Francis McDormand, they're clearly two very talented actors. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that oh well, they're no good at all. But it's just like it kind of feels like they're the wrong performances for this, but then at the same time, are they exactly the right performances for something that feels quite old-fashioned in the way that it's put yeah, together? They're, they're, they both have moments, but I think they are fleeting moments. Yeah. I'm like, that works for me. Like, the smaller performances are the more interesting ones. My problem is this, with this version. Mm. So I've always had a theory about Shakespeare that I've held true, which is... Shakespeare, I think, is fine. Like, we studied Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. I think it is fine. But to read it is tough. I think to watch it is better. Mm -hmm. And my theory has always been, I know when I've seen good Shakespeare because it makes me engaged. Mm. And I remember I watched a performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream by um, a drama group. And I was like, this is bad. And then I watched like a professional version of it, of like a touring company. And I was like this is one of the best plays I've ever seen. Like, this mm. is incredible. And I always thought, when I see good Shakespeare, it makes the words come alive. And I found this boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Macbeth is a really good play. Mm-hmm. It's a really intense, it's really interesting, it's really dramatic. And I felt the way that this is put across is just a bit, not even a bit, I found it very boring. And actually, I couldn't decipher the text Right. And that's not... And, you know, maybe it is somebody's going to be like, oh, that's because you don't understand Shakespeare and you're not paying attention. And it's not that. I genuinely just think that, like, the way this is put across mm. doesn't engage me in a way that makes me interested in it. Like... Yeah. And that's not a case of, like, I don't like the story because it is one of my favourite... Because mm. I'm an absolute pleb and, you know, I only like the fucking ones that everyone knows... I like Macbeth as a story. I just find this was very... Yeah. I think... I would say that I don't think I... I don't think I had exactly the same problem that you did, but I definitely had some of the same problem Mm. in that it felt quite dull in terms of the way it was being performed. And I think that's probably the biggest issue here is that the performances aren't engaging enough. Yeah. Particularly from the two leads. Yeah, and the thing is... And this is me saying... I think if you're if you're wanting to do something like this, I think the leads because they carry pretty much the entirety of this, they need to be. I didn't buy into them in the in the way I needed mm-hmm. to in order to really enjoy it, which is why the smaller performances like Stephen Root or yeah. uh, Catherine Hunter stood out much more because you're at least able to go. 
oh, okay, there's something really engaging and dynamic here that I can pull on to. Yes. Whereas, weirdly, though the central performances of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are so undynamic in the way they're done. And I'm not, I'm not wanting it always to be grandiose mm-hmm. and big. I'm just expecting it to be more engaging. And I think that's a slightly different thing, isn't yeah. it? I think in terms of it as a film adaptation, I think it is fine. I think it's, you know, I've seen loads of five stars for this. Yeah. I think it's probably more towards the three. It mm-hmm. kind of feels like it's quite middling. It doesn't have anything that makes it, yeah. well, other than those couple of performances that I've mentioned, it doesn't have anything that really stands out. Don't get me wrong, artistically. Oh, like, and it, visually, visually, it is it looks really tremendous. I think is, cinematography is beautiful in here. And there are moments in it that you go, that is beautiful. The second witch's scene... Mm-hmm. With the puddle, uh, yeah. with the pool, uh, that is just, yeah, incredible. And I think that's that was one scene where I was just like, "Oh, I'm really engaged by this. This is great." I got to that point, and I was already like, "I think I'm mentally checked out of this." Yeah. Like, there was a point in the film, and I don't even know when it was, but my brain just went, "We're going to mm-hmm. get through this, but you ain't going to enjoy." It. <laughs> um. So what I would say is, I think for me, it's a that'll do, pig. Sure. And I think if you are a Shakespeare fan, it might be worth giving it a go just to see if mm. you feel like, okay, maybe this is something that actually does speak yeah, to me. Yeah, this is a film for somebody, but it just isn't me. Mm. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, It just wasn't for me. Like, I'm sorry, uh, what was it? Michael Billington is the uh, was the Guardian's theatre critic for a while. Was that right? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I read a book by him. Um, anyway, well, look. See it if you're interested. Is what I'll, I'll, I'll go. That'll do. The thing as is, well. I don't think this is going to get non-Shakespeare fans on board. No, and I think like even though it is a much more pared-down version, because that's the thing is that it's much shorter than Macbeth as a play, <clears throat> and they've clearly extracted what they feel. And to be fair, in terms of stripping down all the unnecessary bits, they kind of have. And yeah. I think in, in an exercise of sort of abridging something, it is. Mm-hmm well done but i do think that those central performances for me are the thing that lets it down because i just think so much of it has to come down to those performances because i don't think it's a case of oh i don't think it's directed well enough mm-hmm. i think it's a case of those performances just aren't there for those two yeah and you know, and that's 90 percent of the movie and you know me i like to have a secondary scale in the back of my head mm-hmm. which kind of goes for like when i'm looking at like would this film work for like the everyman yeah i'm like would I show this to my dad? Because in my mind, my dad is like the everyman of cinema. Like, there's he's middle of the road, kind of meat and potatoes mm. filmmaking. If I showed him this, he would probably disown me as a son. Right. Okay. Um, so I think you know, it's it's a hard sell to people who aren't. Yeah. In already invested and want. To and he see. already hates you enough because of old Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Film of 2022 still so far. Uh, so, as always, guys, you can find us on <laughs> Twitter at DinosaurMan15. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating review. review uh, rate us on Spotify now that yes. we have ratings on Spotify. I've rated us. Have you? One star. Boo. No. <laughs> um, as always, John Neves did the theme song. This time it was Bubble, Bubble, <laughs> Toil and Jubble. Well... Yep, I know Shakespeare. Uh, and this is my little special thank you. Andy. Yeah. My special thank you this week goes to you for hosting. 
I that's amazing. I had a special thank you already prepared. And it goes to Moonlight. It was for me for hosting. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you. <laughs> uh, thank you guys see, for listening. Until next time. Until we three meet again. <laughs> Shakespeare reference. <laughs> we'll get back to the uh, cum jokes next week. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Oh.